welcome to the Recombobulator Lab with Jason Graham Nye and Chris Dominic. Christopher Dominic. Yes. Jason, how are you? How are you? I'm I'm having a great day. I don't know why I'm having such a great day. Oh, I know why I'm having such a great day. Well, you finished a trial. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's because I finished my trial. Yes, I, yeah. that was really fun. It was really yeah. fun. The, the the jury's out, so I have nothing to report other than that it was it was fun. Oh, uh, good on Yeah, yeah. That's it was exciting. Really cool. it, Congrats. Yeah, I. Although I'll tell you, I mean, it's. I will say, there's certain things about remote trials that I kind of wonder if we don't need mm. to think about how to incorporate them. Because for one thing, witnesses on video are kind of yeah. better in some ways because you know. In a courtroom, really? they're way the hell. Well, okay, so yes and no. So mm. if it was pre-recorded, that's a big no because that's right. just it's newsy time. But yeah, yeah. If, if when it's when you're just sitting there in front of a big computer monitor, you mm. can see everything about this person's facial expressions. You can hear the oh, voice okay. perfectly well. When okay. you're a huge courtroom and you're in the witness box, uh, right, 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 you're right. looking over at a jury. A lot of times, it's thirty feet away from you. Mm. I mean, it's, there are smaller courthouses where that's not a problem. Uh, but you know, a lot of these courthouses are old and they have these huge ceilings and it's echoey. Anyway, there's things about the new way that are really good, but what I missed the most was kind of hanging out with the trial team after yeah. every day and going over everything. I mean, we had, you know, we had calls mm. and it was and it was fine and, and everybody did a great job. I, I, there's there's definitely a time in the trenches with trial teams that makes it fun. Right, you know? right. There, there are things that, that we are going to learn from and get better with and, and I actually kind of hope we find a way to incorporate or keep keep in, in modern trials. But I, but I, yeah. but I mean, it's a heck of a lot better than the alternative right now, which is going into a courtroom with a bunch yeah. of people with masks on yeah, and right, right. plastic everywhere and all that. Once we're past the pandemic, uh, yeah. it'll, it'll be fun having all this human contact back for a lot of reasons. Yeah. 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 How about you? What's, what's going on, man? Well, we've had uh, another good week. Things are good. School goes back tomorrow. Mm. Australia, the term, academic term matches the, uh, the calendar year. So son number two is back to school. Sun number one getting set for university. So um, yeah, things are pretty good. Very good. A hot Very and good. steamy Sunday morning here. Yeah, that is not normal though, right? No, nah, it's global warming, man. <laughs> <laughs> We're all gonna die. You just yeah, I've heard that. So <laughs> is is it? Do you think it is a climate change thing? Mm, it's something odd. It is pretty weird. Well, the whole place burning down last year probably yeah had something to do with that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. we have an amazing show today, right? Yes, we do. In fact, I cannot wait for our American audience in particular to hear from our interview with Steve Solomon because, wow, what a guy. Yeah, he's yeah, an amazing Olympian, studied in the U. He's Australian, went to my high school, but studied in the U.S. at uh, undergraduate and postgraduate. And it was such a great conversation. We're actually going to make it a, a two-part episode, a first for the podcast. It's a first, a two-parter. Yeah. yeah, we really did. Just we just got into it. It was fun. The, the, the flow of that was was so cool. So yeah, I, I I'm excited to to get this out to people. And uh, I don't know. Let's uh, let's go. Let's roll it tight. Okay. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hey, Jason. Do you ever find yourself craving something all the time? I am craving an adult beverage. One that's clean, refreshing, relaxing. Oh, Bondi, mate, absolutely. Jason, you always do this to me. I'm not looking to go for a surf or a swim. I need a beach, I need a drink. Chris, an O Bondi is a cocktail made with sparkling water, a lime wedge to keep off the scurvy, and most importantly, vodka row. Proudly Australian, vodka row is a triple distilled vodka that's charcoal filtered for a cleaner, smoother taste. It's won awards and it's the best selling vodka in Australia. You wouldn't happen to have one of those handy, would you? <laughs> I've got one right here. Did you just pass that through the internet? Boom! 
Oh my, that is fantastic. Sign me up. Get the clean, refreshing taste of Wonder Beach with Vodka Rock. All right, so this week on the Recombobulator Lab, we have our very first Olympian, Australian 400-meter runner, Steve Solomon, a.k.a. Solo. Love that nickname, Solo. Solo, how are you, Steve? I'm fantastic, Jason. Thanks so much for having me on with you and Chris. So good. So Steve and I went to school, went to the same school, but about 400 years apart, and Steve (laughs) ran fractionally faster than me. In his final, (laughs) actually just after finishing school he represented australia at the london olympics made it into the final his 400 meter personal best is an incredible 44.9 seconds just a smidge behind the three <laughs> really well in my i mean just a little bit behind the 43.03 world oh, record. I, I thought you were going to give us your pb there oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> i'm still yeah, going he's gonna sneak it in yeah. <laughs> so, so let's, let's frame oh, it in so steve's pb is 44.9 mine is 97 if that's a yeah, thing it's close yeah close. and uh, yeah, yeah. and the world the world record the world record is just a second ahead of that a little bit 43.03 by Damn. south african wade van nykirk it's amazing steve that's it that's but it I was, I was doing it is extraordinary steve the the cool there's so much cool data here but the one i love is the fact that you're faster than um, usain bolt over 400 which yeah i is, mean i'm i'm happy that bolt decided to stick with the one in the joint oh. because i think i think he would have been a phenomenal 400 runner but by his own admission the 400 was too hard for him so that's, um that's yeah wild. it is a fun fact can, can i just wow. understand so he his pb bolt's pb for the 400 is 45.28 that's and you are 44 wow 44.9 okay and now he's six foot five steve is Usain? i'm just i'm six six one just under six you're two. six one mm. six two and you say mm. bolt's about six five yes that would be right bolt is he's tall he, he's strong he's, right. he's a very very strong guy one of the most amazing things about bolt having run next to him a few times warming up over the years at different competitions around the world is the amount of power he can put put through the track i think one of the tragedies of track and field in a thousand hundred thousand seat stadium is you really lose a little bit of the perspective of how fast and, and how much power and the speed that people are moving at because you're so far removed from the action i would encourage everyone listening just if you if you want something fun to do go down to your local track when the sprinters are running and just stand in the infield and kind of just put yourself a little bit perpendicular to when when they're coming past and you know i used to do that when i used to see bolt at, at the tracks it's the amount of power he would put through the ground is mind-blowing um you know he's moving at over 10 meters a second if you step that out in your house right now it'll blow your mind it's he's an amazing athlete i i took well eugene oregon is track town usa and i took the family down to watch the u.s olympic trials and lo and behold you do get a a little sense of that if you get right down to the front and it's it is phenomenal it's it's surreal that uh that speed and that power so so hey hey you know what you may not know this jason this is not in our plans but i'm going to hijack the interview are you ready Okay. Yep. Let's go. Jason and Steve, are you ready? I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to, you're both going to be at the other end of a quiz. It's a track and field quiz. I think between the two of you, you're going to get the whole thing right. Okay. So that's, so instead of just doing this thing that we normally do, Steve, where Jason like gets one out of two and we're, you know, whatever, we're going to see if we can shoot for the stars. Jason, if you want to answer the question, you say Jason. Okay. And then Steve, if you want to answer the question, you say Steve. It's like your buzzer. Okay. 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 You guys ready? Yep. Let's go. And then, and then, Jason, we'll get we'll get to your plan, man. We'll okay. get there. It'll be. Okay. Are, we, are we team Cranbrook right now? I think we're team Cranbrook. So Steve and I went to school together, and the school was called Cranbrook. So we are team Cranbrook. It's just that you were four hundred years apart. You said correct. Right? <laughs> 
That's right. That's that's close. That's okay, close. but you know what? Once a Cranbrookian, always a Cranbrookian. Oh my gosh, okay. that's so true. <laughs> that's right. Okay, right. okay. Here we go. You guys ready? You got five questions. You got to get them all right. Here we go. Ready? How many hurdles are in a standard men's hurdles race? Oh, man, Jase, I can help out with that. Steve. Thanks, mate. Go safe. Okay, Steve. We'll go 10. You are correct, sir. Boom. Boom. Back, baby. (laughs) All right, all right. Okay, here we go. Uh, This is question number two, since we wiped one off the board. Okay, any reaction time faster than blank is considered to be a false start. Oh, wow. Jase, I can take this one as well. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be a theme. And it's a good thing, too. (laughs) Steve, let's go. It's it's 0.1 of a second. Correct. Wow. Woo! That's so cool. Oh, he is coming through. It's interesting behind that. How track races are started today at, at major championships, it's all with an electronic gun. So there's a speakerphone behind each of the starting blocks. And the reason that came about was if you're starting in lane eight and there's an athlete in lanes one through to eight and the starter is typically around the finish line, that can be 40 or 50 meters away, sometimes 60 meters away in a relay from the last runner in lane eight and where the starter is. So traditionally with the old starter, gun the speed of sound would have to travel that 60 meters and it was deemed an unfair advantage so that's the the thought behind the point one of a second is they deem it's impossible for you to cause a reaction that quick in the body but the synapses in the brain to make a movement takes longer than that time so any movement before point one of a second is is deemed as as happening before the gun that is one of the coolest things i've ever heard of that is cool okay yeah this is awesome that's awesome steve thank you all right you ready this is Number three, Let's go. which Australian track and field athlete has the most Olympic medals? Think hard. Track and field? Mm-hmm. Jason, it's, uh, yeah, Jason. Shirley, it's, it's Shirley Strickland. You did it! <laughs> <laughs> yes, here we go. She had 1948, 1952, and 1956. She had seven medals, three gold, one silver, three bronze. That wow. is impressive. Who knew? Wow. Yeah, that's I impressive. I didn't know. I did. Wow. All right. This one now it's getting kind of interesting. You guys ready? All right. Yeah, let's go. Adolf Hitler hoped that the 1936 Berlin Games would prove that his theory of Aryan racial superiority mm-hmm. would be awesome. Which famous black athlete stuck it to Hitler by winning four gold medals in the 100 meter, 200 meter, four by 100 relay, and the long jump? Jesse Owens. That's you are correct. Boom. <laughs> he managed to break or equal nine Olympic records and also set three world records. One of those world records was the four by 100 meter relay. The quartet set a time that wouldn't be bettered for 20 years. Amazing. You got to tip your cap to Jesse, man. Yeah, that was phenomenal. Okay. Yeah. But I'm going to finish with this because I think you guys can close this out. I think you guys are going to do what I thought you'd do. You will, <laughs> you will ace this. Are you ready? Yeah. You, you cannot say anything until I've finished the whole thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's a reverence moment here. Which Australian lit the cauldron at the 2000 Sydney Olympic Games and then 10 days later <laughs> lined up for the 400 meter final in front of 112,524 fans at Stadium Australia and 10 million more Australians on TV, which is more than half the population and won gold in the 400 meter. Okay, Steve, should we say it together? I think we've got to say it okay. together. But One, it. Ready? One, two, right. three. Right. Kathy, Kathy Green. Green. Yeah, that's beautiful, guys. That's beautiful. I love it. 
Okay. I, I put the last one in there because I thought there's no way you're missing that, but I was really impressed to see that you got the other ones. That was really cool, guys. All right. The, so the Jason, Gabby Freeman question was a nice wrap up. That was, I can't think of a sporting moment Australia's ever had that comes within an order of magnitude of what Kathy's 400 meter victory in Sydney was. And I'll tell you why. Sydney, Australia, or Australia at the time in 2000 is a very, you know, we're a very multicultural country, but around the time of 2000, there was still larger than what we would like percentage of the population that did didn't see the Aboriginals as Australian. Without Kathy Freeman, I, d- I, I don't think that stance would have changed as it did because when Kathy took the blocks in the Sydney Olympics, she was our golden girl before she even stood on the mm. stood on, on the starting box. You know, she lit the cauldron, like you said. Everyone in Australia was talking about her for the entire Olympics. And track and field is only in the second week. So we had over a week of talking about Kathy before she even stepped on the track. As Australians started to speak more of Kathy and as they started to see her, in the Australian colours and realised that themselves and their neighbours and everyone else was cheering for Kathy Freeman, this Aboriginal Australian, it really helped accelerate in the minds of the whole country that the Aboriginals are very much part of Australia and we are one and the same. And that, to me, is what made Kathy's run, which which a lot of people don't know of, even more impressive. Can you guys imagine the pressure that was on her? Oh, there's been a brilliant documentary about two months ago on the ABC about it. Really? With her, yeah. um, she did the voiceover, but I was reminded of the French rival, Marie um, Jose Perec, who flew into Sydney, I think, to defend she who was That's a correct. champion. She, she fled the city two days before. Um, That's she, right. It's an extraordinary, extraordinary story. That's an awesome story, guys. It's very inspiring. So, But Jason, you've got an agenda, yeah. and I want you to take it back, my man. Oh, that's all right. Thanks for the quiz. That was awesome. So I wanted just uh, a bit more background on Steve. So after school, uh, he went to and did undergraduate at Stanford, and then I think it was an MBA at Duke. Is that right? Yes. Right. I, and then- I did my Master's of Management. So I, I left a year before that would have converted to the Business Administration, the MBA. So I, I left with a Master's of management. Fantastic. So Steve, after Stanford and Duke headed home to the motherland, Sydney, Australia, to train for the Tokyo Olympics. And so there's so many places, so many questions I want to ask, but I think I might start with the Olympics. Could you briefly paint the picture for those listening? You just, you finished high school, you were 19. What was the progression from qualifying for the national team to running in the final in London is question one. And the other, the other question is, what was the last song you listened to before you entered the stadium? Yeah. Wow. I just got goosebumps. It's funny. that, That was what, nine years ago and still anytime I think back on on the London games I get like a shiver so to paint the scene I graduated high school November 2011 for those uh, American compatriots listening our school calendar follows the regular calendar with our summers being from December through through January so I finished in November 2011 and I was only set to start Stanford in September 2012 so I effectively had the time between finishing high school and starting college to, to train and just be a professional athlete being 19 at the time I I had a number of competitions before London. I had a world junior competition, which I'd had on my mind for a long time, which were in Barcelona about five weeks before the games. I was able to fly to Barcelona, run a personal best time, pick up a medal, bronze medal in the 400 meters there, and came into to the Olympics with a lot of confidence. I just picked up this medal in Barcelona. I had run a personal best time. Like I felt, I, I felt ready. You know, I, I felt ready to, mm-hmm. to take on the Olympics. And at the time, I, I say it's like a little bit of youth naivety. Like I was 19 and I told myself that my goal for the Olympics was to make the 
final. And why I say it's a little bit of youth naivety, you know, you've got to think of what the Olympic Games is. We take the best 48 runners in the world. You know, to get to the Olympic Games, we take the absolute best 48 athletes in the world. And then on day one, we cut half of them. We only take 24 through to the semifinal. <laughs> we've taken the best 48 and then we've pushed half the field away. And then after that, we only take the top eight of that 24 remaining into the final. And I enter the games with a ranking above 30. So statistically, I should never have made it out of the heat, my world ranking coming into the games. But my, my goal was to make the final. Anyway, so I, so I take the track for my first race. It was the heat. And and 24 hours before you start, the race is where you get what we call the call sheet, which is the list of athletes competing in your, in your event. And I remember distinctly getting my call sheet, immediately running my eyes down the names of the athletes who I'd compete against in that first race. And on that sheet was the reigning Olympic champion, LaShawn Merritt. <laughs> Man. From America? Is he yeah, that, that, that's a welcome to the Olympic Games. But I was so pumped. I wanted to beat LaShawn for so long. <laughs> I wanted to race him for so long. Um, and I you know, I realized I was going to get that opportunity from day one. So get to the track, start warming up, body's feeling good, confident. One of the advantages of this being my first Olympic Games is I didn't really know a whole lot about my competitors. I didn't really recognize anyone at the track. I hadn't known what their histories were. And why that helps is the 400 meters is, is one lap of the track. Which which most of you will know. It's run completely in your own lane. What that means is you've got to run your own race. It's not like an 800 meters mm-hmm. where you've kind of got to adapt your style to the to the race at hand. The 400 meters is really you've got to be able to stay in your head for 44, 45 seconds. Ignore everything that's going on around you. Ignore the crowd. Ignore the other athletes and just run your race pattern. It was a it was a morning race of the heat. I got out the blocks really well. I think I was the fastest starter out of the blocks. Thankfully, beyond 0.1 of a second which would have disqualified me like we were talking at at the start. (laughs) And I was running down the back straight and I could feel on my inside, a couple of lanes inside me that there was another athlete coming up. And I just had this sense of awareness, but I stayed in my head. I kept in in my lane physically and mentally. And coming down the home straight, I actually realized that I was going to win the race. I could feel the momentum that I was bringing into that home straight. And I ended up crossing the line first, running a new personal best time of 45.18 and joined a very kind of exclusive club of Australians who who have won in a, a race at the Olympic Games. So all of a sudden, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This, this is I, I couldn't actually yeah believe what was going on so I like ran out of there you know pumped full of adrenaline went and did my recovery protocols and then tried to go to sleep that night I want I want to kind of paint the picture here like think of that think of a moment where like you've had a really big day the next day you know maybe you know, something really important was happening it might have been an exam it might have been a pitch you know it might have been an interview mm-hmm. that's kind of how I was feeling right now I had the Olympic semi-final happening the next day and I made a mistake that only I can see as a mistake in hindsight but I try to go to bed at like 9 o'clock like that's the time I usually go to bed but once you've won a race at the Olympic Games not possible it's not possible it's not, not possible. possible and I ended up really not sleeping that night because I was just so wired I like didn't give my body like the chance to settle down but anyway it doesn't matter you're in the Olympic semi-final it doesn't matter if you haven't had any sleep again I go through my warm-up procedures I find myself in the core room so the core room is a is like a marshalling area 40 minutes before you start the race you have to enter this core room and it's kind of under the stadium I'm I'm trying to put my shoe on my my right shoe specifically and my leg couldn't stop shaking and and mm. and I felt fine like you look at my body like my breathing was fine but my leg was going ballistic it just was shaking and I was trying to slap it and I was trying to like get it under control so I could put my racing shoes on and I think that was the point where I realized like wow like 
you know, the body's nervous. Mm -hmm. Like I was saying at the start, we've taken out half the field by this time. And now it was only eight athletes that were going to qualify for the final, which was my goal. Again, I set out the blocks. I think I was the first out of the blocks again. Good reaction time. Ran a really strong first 200. Was feeling good. Started to come around the bend and the, and the guys started to pull away from me a little bit. And I had to really dig enormously deep and run a monster last 100 meters. And I remember coming down the home straight and it was automatic. If you, if you got the top two in the race, you were automatically in the final. If you missed out on the top two, you had to, to qualify via what we call the non-automatic qualifier so the fastest people who didn't finish one or two in the race and I remember hunting these guys down the final straight and I crossed the line and I, I knew I'd gotten third and I and I think if there was a meter more in the race I would have got second but I got third and that meant I had to wait to find out if I would take one of those non-automatic qualifying positions of which there were two and I was the first semi-final so I had to wait for the second and the third to finish I was surprisingly calm <laughs> <laughs> waiting for these other other races to, to go like I just run a personal best around 4497 uh first time under 45 seconds i knew that that was a very quick time i knew i kind of was just i was very content with where i was and the next race runs the next semi-final and i'm looking for the time of that third place and i think it was 4499 for third place there so i'm still in so it's going to have to take two guys to finish third and fourth in the, in the last semi-final to eclipse my positioning and they didn't i think they ran 4501 so i i, I ended up the fastest non-automatic qualifier into that final and I remember I was sitting with, with with like the Australian media watching those races and it all kind of hit me immediately that I was into the Olympic final. And I, <laughs> I just remember running through the mix zone, uh, which is like the kind of the media zone um, and, and just being like, I've got to get, I've got to get back home. Like, you know, I've got to eat. It's already like eight o'clock finals, you know, 24 hours away. So instead of doing what I did the night before and going to bed immediately, I ended up staying awake till about 3 a.m. in the morning when my body just couldn't stay awake any longer and crashed. And I was able to pick up about six hours of sleep. And this is now brings us to the second part of Jason's question, kind of what, what was the last song that I was listening to. But by the time I got to the Olympic final, like that was my goal for the championship. So I was actually quite relaxed warming up for that final. It's a very bizarre feeling. You've got 100,000 people in the stadium next door and we're warming up on the warm-up track and, and the 400 was one of the last events of the night. So so that really there's only probably about 20, 25 people at the track that I'm warming up on and next door is 100,000 people. And it was so loud, so loud that I know that when Mo Farrow was running the 10K, the photo finished the cameras at the at the end of the race couldn't take a stable photo it was like vibrating the track was vibrating that loud so jason to answer your question just before i was entering the call room the last song that came into my my headphones was a song called remember the name by fort minor and that is a song that i exclusively listen to on race day i don't listen to that song any other time that's kind of like part of my priming song and then um you know was able to step into that stadium taking the atmosphere for all of a second or so and then snap back into my head ended up you know still running a great race finished eighth in the final ran 45 14 which was the second quickest i've ever run and yeah kind of that that kind of set the stage for i guess the last 10 years it was it was an amazing experience in london i was very fortunate to have a lot of family and friends there and very happy to pick up any questions off that but that that's that was kind of my olympic story through 2012 and, and hopefully we'll have another one in six seven months time as we approach, approach tokyo let's hope for sure yeah so steve i've got like a few questions over that and by the way you know if it was jason and it would have been and, you know, back a few years, I'm going to guess he would have been pumping himself with Dream World by Midnight Oil. This is my guess. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I can imagine that. Like, he's just... <laughs> 
Anyway, so first of all, there's this study in psychology over positive self-talk. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's interesting because you were talking about how, you know, you were young and you were, you're ba- I mean, this is what I took away from it. Yes. You were like, I'm, I'm young, I'm naive. I really don't know who I'm running against. And I wonder how much that helps because there's really great evidence that, for example, the biggest thing that is a problem for you, if you're a baseball player and you have a bat in your hand and you step into the box and you face a pitcher that you know throws 100 miles an hour and has a nasty curveball. And if you say for even one moment, this guy's got my name, you're dead, like no chance. But if you step in there and somehow kind of pump yourself up and say like, I've got this guy. I've got this guy. If you can actually believe it, you've got a shot. Absolutely spot on. I, I think not just in athletics. I think I think anything. I think, you know, the famous quote from Elon Musk in business is like, you've got to be prepared to eat glass. <laughs> and if he had known that before he had gotten into everything he's doing, he may not have may not have made the decision that he did was you know, to, to eat the glass. And I think I think the 400 is the same way. You know, I've, I've definitely won races before they've started because I've been able to get into the heads of my competitors and remind them that I was in the race. A, an example of that is in, in 2017 was our national championships and nobody knew this. Nobody knew this, but I had not run for about six or seven weeks leading into that competition. I had not run at all. I had done a couple of training sessions on the bike and in the swimming pool, but I was so stressed at, there was a so much going on in my life that I was so stressed I called my coach and basically said to them like I can't run I'm going to tear something I have so much tension on my body so we opted for some safer training modalities in the, in the pool and on the bike and coming into that championship I just acted like everything was normal and every other time I'd stepped on the line for a national championship I'd won and I kind of carried that same sense of just confidence and, and ended up winning the national championships in what I imagine to be one of the slowest times ever to win a national championships and I really think it was just because no one, if no, if someone had sensed the weakness, they would have capitalized on it. But no one could yeah. sense the weakness, which means everyone was trying to run my race. So I've definitely seen that in myself. I've seen it in competitors. I've seen that in situations when I'm overseas. It, you know, it's it, it's definitely easier said than done. It's hard to forget about the guy throwing the hundred mile hour fastball. But the positive self talk and and sometimes kind of the the not knowing what you're in for is definitely a an advantage that that athletes and and I guess, I guess we all have to to, yeah. to to dig from. Okay, second question coming off of this last section, which is you. You said at some point you could just feel somebody coming up on you. And I thought, okay, that makes sense because it's probably not a good thing when you're going that fast to like crank your head to the left and look. Yep, yep that's right. So so to me, I've got an interesting kind of philosophy on this. So bear with me, Chris. <laughs> the, the 400 meters, if you look at it from a physiological standpoint, is, is a fight or flight response. We are running from danger. Like we are sprinting. Like <laughs> conditioned into the human body of sprint is danger. Fight or flight. Fight or fight. Fight or flight. Fight or flight. Mm-hmm. And, so when we're moving at that speed and our body's sensing danger, if we're what I call, if we're conscious, then what do we do when we're, when we're in like a really fearful situation? All our senses are heightened, right? So like mm-hmm. our eyes are constantly scanning for threats. Our ears are constantly standing, scanning for threats. Our smell, everything, our t- everything is scanning for threats. And that's bringing a lot of stress into the system. It's tensing up the muscles. And it's also diverting a lot of energy that we want to put through the track to other, to other parts of the body. So yeah. really when I'm in 
my zone in the 400, when I'm like running perfectly and why I can say that I sense someone coming up rather than I'm looking or I, I definitively know is that I'm trying to be as much as I can in the subconscious. I'm trying to like trick my body to say all of these things that you're feeling physiologically, the building up of lactate, the, the amount of force going through the muscles, uh, the speed of which we're moving. We are all in a safe environment. I'm trying to convince my body that it's safe and we don't have to go searching for this fight or flight response. So that is the feeling that you get in a race is a lot of it's done by this sensing because you don't actually want to snap into the conscious. You don't want to be, you don't want to confirm it because like you were saying, you know, moving your neck when moving at 10 meters a second is probably not ideal in the first place, but really even deeper than that, bringing yourself into the reality of what you're doing in my experiences is what you're trying to protect yourself from. Because once you do snap into the conscious, I've, I've never been able to snap back unconscious. I've just been able to, I haven't been able to do that. My body is just picking up on too much stimulus and basically the race is done at that point. So an athlete kind of in their state of flow in my mind is operating like completely unconsciously and kind of letting instinct take over to, to suppress a lot of the physiology that's happening. All right. So that was the end of part one. How good was that? Oh man, off to a good start. I really, really can't wait to hear the rest of it. Yeah. Back at home stretch to my next week. Enjoy. For, see you next week. See you next week. joining us at the Recombobulator Lab with Chris Dominic and Jason Graham Knight. Catch you next time.